skiers and riders, and welcome to Last Chair, the Ski Utah podcast. I'm your host, Tom Kelly. It's great to have Utah's Pixie and the Party Grass boys along for yet another episode of Last Chair. And a big Ski Utah shout out to High West, Utah's first legal distillery since 1870. High West is passionate about creating delicious and distinctive whiskeys and helping people appreciate whiskey all in the context of our home right here in the American West. When you're in town, visit one of High West locations in Park City and nearby Wanship. Welcome to episode sponsor Hyatt Centric, a hidden gem located slopeside at Sunrise Lift in Canyons Village. And a shout out to Jan's Mountain Outfitters, your go-to shop for year-round recreation. Stop by a Jan's store in Park City or visit jans.com to learn more. Jan's, your mountain recreation experts. Every one of Utah's 15 ski resorts is a majestic picture postcard. And one of the beauties of our sport is simply staring out from the mountaintop at all of the scenic beauty that surrounds us. Lexi Dowdle is a passionate Utah skier. And like all of us, she loves pointing her skis down into the greatest snow on earth. Aside from skiing, Lexi also has a penchant for art instilled in her by her grandmother. And during the early days of the pandemic, like many of us, Lexi started to reorient the priorities in her life. And she thought about combining her fascination with art with her passion for skiing. Suddenly, the paint-by-powder watercolor project was born. And with it, Lexi Dowdle made a personal commitment to create an original watercolor painting of every ski resort in the state. But wait, there's more. She decided to blend her watercolor paints using water from snowmelt at each respective resort. So imagine this. At each resort, Lexi heads up onto the hill, not just with skis, poles, and goggles, but also carrying empty jugs, filling them with snow, and then lugging them back to her car. Now think about this. One of the big reasons Utah has the greatest snow on Earth is that our water content in the snow is really pretty low. So it takes a lot of Utah powder to gather sufficient water for the project. It's really fun to watch her go and gather the snow. Lexi is well underway towards her goal. Last year, caught up with her mid-season to talk about the Paint by Powder project, how it benefits protect our winners, and how you can help by acquiring a print. Check it all out at kapowder.com. That's K-A-P-O-W-D-E-R.com. Now let's get with Lexi Dowdle to learn more before she heads up to the Cottonwoods for a blue sky ski afternoon. Lexi Dowdle, welcome to Last Chair, the Ski Utah podcast. I know this podcast is between you and a ski day, so looking forward to getting on the boards today. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm excited to be here and then I'm headed up to get myself on some snow, but happy to be here, Tom. Well, I'm really excited about this one. I learned about your project earlier this season. And, you know, we're going to talk about a lot of things that are really near and dear to Utah skiers' hearts. We're going to talk about skiing today. We're going to talk about river rafting a little bit. I know you're not an expert river rafter, but it did no. it did factor into <laughs> this storyline. We're going to talk about art. We're going to talk about the environment, all things that are really important to us. So just so before we get into the interesting things to talk about what you're doing in melting snow at resorts all around the state, tell us a little bit about your background growing up in Salt Lake and how you got into skiing. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I, I don't know, if fourth or fifth generation Utah, I suppose. So I grew up here. My parents were big skiers. My dad was a ski bum who came here after college and never really left. So my mom always says we never had a choice in being skiers. It was that or get out. So, <laughs> Well, this is the Utah way, right? And you have all these resorts at your disposal. Where did you learn? So I learned, oh man, this is actually quite embarrassing. So my first lesson was at Solitude. I think I was four, maybe three and a half or four. And the guy comes in and he had, it was a powder day, and he had just a huge beard covered in snow. And I was, I lost it. I was terrified. <laughs> so I actually, I stayed inside and watched Sleeping Beauty and colored because I was too scared. He came in looking like a Yeti, you know, he had snow all over his clothes and his jacket. It was too scary for me. Was it the Ski Utah Yeti? You know, it's possible. I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> it's interesting. There's great characters in skiing though, aren't there? Absolutely. Yeah. I was just watching that story about Farmer Dave the other day, who the powder skier up Little Cottonwood and 
man, yeah, we, we make some good characters. Do you remember back to then, other than the fact that you were scared by the Yeti that came in with the frozen beard, but what were the things that really kind of ignited that passion in, about skiing in you? Well, I, I learned with my little sister and a couple of friends and neighbors. So for us, it was just a way to get outside. And then probably around the time I was six, my dad started working in the emergency clinic up at Snowbird. And we knew how to ski by that point. He would kind of just kick us out the door. So we we kind of grew up just ranging around Snowbird and doing laps on mini miners camp. And we that was home for us. That was daycare. So how old were you then? Ah, uh, geez, probably six or seven. I'm not sure. I I definitely used the ski free under 12 until I was 16. At That's Snowbird, pretty much what so everybody does, don't right? Tell them. <laughs> yeah. We won't tell anyone. Yeah, about once that, I got though. my driver's license, I got my first season pass. You know, I want to go back to the six or seven years old and being turned loose on your own as a six or seven year old at Snowbird. Yeah. What were some of the outrageous things you did without mom or dad there looking after you? My dad would typically give us a $10 bill. And it was up to us how to spend that. And we usually would just buy as many French fries as we could, often ordering more than we could pay for. So, Because they're going to look at the six-year-old and say, hey, just get out of here, right? <laughs> yeah. And we would definitely end up in places where we probably shouldn't have been or didn't belong. But we somehow always managed to extract ourselves. I definitely have a pretty vivid memory of being stuck in those gad shoots underneath gads, too. And it, there was some tumbling involved, some acrobatics. You know, one of my favorite ski days of all time was actually at Snowbird in the spring. It would have been probably in the early 90s. And there was something like 84 inches of snow in May. Ooh, and it was light. It the was best. just the best. And I went out with a friend of ours, the daughter of a friend of ours. She was, I think, seven or eight at the time. But she was a hot skier. I mean, she was a racer. Her dad was a coach. So had a really good skier there. And we were skiing the Gad Trees. I mean, I started to realize now this powder is bigger than she is, oh, you know, God. and I got, a, I got ahead of her a little bit and she lost a ski. Oh, And I'm no. like, oh man, I am going to lose her. She's going to die in this thing. You know, it's going to be my fault. But eventually she got it all back together and we just had a great day. But ripping around a mountain with a little kid is just a blast. It can be fun. It can be adventurous. It's a little bit of everything, I would say. Yeah. Where do you ski today? You know, I've got one of those silver passes. So I try to make the most of that and ski all across Utah, I'm down south in Bryan Head, up north to Beaver. I'm actually headed to Beaver Mountain on Tuesday. But I also, I work in the ski industry, which I do have to travel a bit for work. So I get to ski all across the East Coast and West Coast. I'm headed to Big Sky in April and we do a championship over in Europe every year, so I've gotten to go over there before as well. Yeah, tell us about that job, by the way. Yeah, okay. This is I. I need to make a business card, but I'm I'm the director of free ride for the IFSA, and that is International Free Skiers and Snowboarders Association, and we're basically the governing and sanctioning body of competitive free ride. So we run two series: one for children, which is about seven and up to eighteen. And then the Freeride World Qualifier Series for 18 and up. So that's adults competing for a spot on the, the Freeride World Tour, which is about 60 athletes in total from all over the globe. They are actually headed to Kicking Horse up in BC right now for the third stop of the tour. And it's if you haven't caught one of those live streams, it's, it's something you should probably check out. It's amazing. Were you an athlete? I was not. I was never an athlete. So you just kind of like my path too, you know, you just get into the management because you yeah. have that skill, but yeah. you're not necessarily the one that's uh, putting on the skis and going no. for the gusto. No, no, no. And and this is kind of a funny anecdote. We had a, every year we do a junior championship and then also a U12 championship. And we did that at Kicking Horse a couple of years back. And I was skiing around with the Whistler Freeride Club, all their young 12-year-old groms. And I violently double ejected on a cat track and the next thing I know I have uh, there's a swarm of you know 10 and 11 year olds seven year olds eight year olds handing me all my gear and it was just mortifying and and I definitely have no illusions about my skiing ability when looking at these up-and-coming 12 year olds 11 year olds it is crazy all these kids are, are the next free ride world tour athletes and it's really cool to, to see the progression because all the kids that are graduating now are qualifying for the tour on their first or second year in the qualifying series. It's just, it's amazing to see the level that they're at 
at age 18, 19, 20. It's it's pretty humbling. <laughs> yeah, we we will get back to the art that we're going to talk about, but I just wanted to explore that. What are the things that motivates kids today to do that? It's it, it is you know it's it's a cool thing for kids, I know. But what are the some of the things that you've seen that really motivates kids to get out and do that? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, as cliche as it is, it really is the mountain metaphor. You know, you're you're heading up uphill, and you've got to battle the elements and battle your fears and conquer your own self doubt. And you know, you're standing at the top of the mountain. It's just like such a perfect metaphor for life. And you lose days, you win days, you crash some days, you get back up. And no matter what, you've got a group of buddies sitting at the finish corral ready to give you a hug. It's not so cutthroat as some of the other disciplines of skiing that I've witnessed. And I will say we attract quite a number of burnt out race kids. And they make amazing free riders because they have such strong technique and foundation. They know how to control themselves at speed. And then you're just adding in, you know, cliffs and steeps. And it's it's really fun to watch the X racers free ride. Let's go back to your skiing all around the state of Utah. I was up at Brian, or I'm sorry, not Brian Head, but uh, Beaver Mountain a year ago. And we did a podcast for Last Chair up there. That was the best ski day of the year for me last year. It was up at Beaver Mountain. Beaver is awesome. And I think, you know, their whole their whole deal is they're they're the oldest family-owned resort in America. And you feel that the minute you step on their on their property. It's it's so great. You grab your ticket from Marge. She's been there for I think 60 years or more. I've rode the chairlift up with Travis, who's the general manager, and he he pretty much does it all. I've seen him driving cats. I've seen him schmoozing with guests and uh we got to the top of the bowl wheel and it was making a weird clanging sound and before i literally i hadn't even blinked we'd exited the the little ramp and he is on top of the bowl wheel with a hammer i don't even know where he got this hammer and he's like clanging on the bowl wheel you know he he has to do it all because it is such a family operation and his children are involved, their husbands and wives are involved. It's it's just a really neat place to go. Yeah, it really was. The, the day I skied with him, I think we skied for two and a half to three hours and we only did five runs. Yeah, he, he knows everybody. <laughs> he knows everybody. You know, you get off the chairlift and, and you know, the guests call him by name and he responds as uh, they did. And But just skiing around and just looking at the views up there, I mean, it is truly out in the wilderness up there. Yeah. Logan Canyon is beautiful. I've done a couple of yurt trips just over the hill from Beaver and it's just a slower way of life up there. I think the thing I like most about Beaver is there's no cell signal. So you're really present. You're riding the chairlift. You're speaking to your friends. You're not scrolling through your your Tinder or your Instagram or whatever. So I love how being a beaver forces you to be present. And it's actually, it's quite similar at a lot of the small resorts here. I know Eagle Point is the same way. Not great service up there, but it kind of helps us remember why we're skiing, why we're snowboarding. And I do appreciate that. Yeah. I, I'm glad you said that. And Initially, I was traumatized. It's How am I going to survive today? But at the end, it was really, it still is. It's my best ski memory from last season, and I, I have to get up there again. Let's let's move over to art. Along the way, you became inspired as an artist, and we're going to bring the two things together when we get into the second half of our podcast. But just going back into your youth, how did you get inspired to express yourself through art? I come from a very creative family, and we're always doing stuff, be it scrapbooking or making terrariums, or we we were just crafting all the time. And I may be biased, but I think Utah is the most beautiful state. Well, it is. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And we have just such an amazing diversity of landscapes and vistas and state parks and national parks. It's hard not to be inspired by the vistas that we're surrounded by out here. What were some of the first mediums that you used? And you know, can you think back to when you were a child and what you started to do first? Are you doing Quran art? Or, oh, totally. Uh, what kid didn't make a beautiful macaroni, you know, glue showpiece? My grandmother was actually an artist out in Sedona, Arizona. That was a backwater back then. It was kind of just a little weird, funky art town with a bunch of new age crystal shops. So we would go out there and feel the, you know, the energy of the vortex. They've got these incredible red rock monoliths that surround the town. So she was a big oil painter, watercolorist. So she would give us lessons in her kind of just 
cramped, dark studio under the stairs. So it was kind of this weird, we would do pottery, we would do oil paints. And she didn't love that because we'd, we'd make such a mess. So she kind of delegated us to watercolors. But we had a little experience growing up, but I was pretty busy with school and sports. So I didn't do much art through high school and college. I kind of just dropped it along the way for other things, mostly skiing. I was doing a lot of skiing. Yeah. How old were you when she first introduced you to watercolors? Pretty little. I mean, probably six or seven. We would go down there about once a year or so, and we we definitely enjoyed that time with her. Let's talk a little bit about watercolors and not so much your project. We'll get into that in a minute, but watercolor is, is really quite a different medium. It's an enigma. It's very simple, but it's difficult to master. And I would say I'm very much a type A kind of control freak kind of person. So watercolor has helped me to be a lot more open to outcome. You literally have to go with the flow. So that's a neat thing about watercolors. You can have an idea of what you want to accomplish, but in the end, the water and the paint are going to force your destiny and you don't have as much control over it as, say, acrylic or oil. I enjoyed one of the videos you did. You did a time lapse of you painting the old skier service ticket office at Alta. And as much as I know about art, my wife is is an artist, it was fascinating to me to see you do the watercolor and see the colors spread out. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's happening slowly. Like your naked eye can detect it, but on a time lapse, it's so much more evident how far the water and the paint actually travel. I mean, how do you manage that as you an artist? Don't, you just work with it. You don't manage it. You don't manage it. <laughs> no. Like... It forces you to be very much on your toes. You know, you make a mistake and you can try and correct it, but you only have, you know, maybe 90 seconds, maybe two or three minutes, depending on how warm it is outside. Because once the paint is dry, you you can't really go back in because you'll create, you know, cauliflowers and bleeds that won't be probably not the effect you're looking for. So you have very limited time to work with. Are you able to layer in any way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You can definitely layer. It's it's beneficial to wait until one layer is dry before yeah. starting another. But I honestly don't really know what I'm doing. So I might not be the best person to ask about watercolor No, you techniques. are the best person to ask. <laughs> I'm a beginner teaching beginners. As we do this interview, my wife is actually at art class where she's doing oils, oh, uh, so which cool. is really, which is really c- c- quite a bit, quite a bit different. Well, it's uh, so intimidating. I don't think I, I'm ready for oils. <laughs> after the break, we're going to talk a little bit about your paint by powder project. But you know, you're a skier. You're you're doing some art. Did you ever really think about how you could combine the two of those together? I just knew I wanted to paint mountains. I mean, that's where I'm happiest. That's where my soul is alive. So. It's funny. I, f- I still feel like I don't really know how to paint mountains or snow, but you know, I'm practicing as much as I can and it's it's just going to be a work in progress. <laughs> well, it's interesting. We're, g- we're going to take a short break here, but we're going to talk about the Paint by Powder project. And I think what you've put together, you know, I, th- I think those of us as skiers are probably a little bit less concerned whether you're the best watercolor artist in the world or yeah. not. But the fact <laughs> is you're out there painting some amazing scenes that are meaningful for us. For sure. So we're going to be right back. This is Last Chair, the Ski Utah podcast. We're talking today with artist skier Lexi Dowdle. We'll be right back. Lexi has unbridled enthusiasm for life. What a fun project. We'll be right back to talk to her more about the Paint by Powder project. But first, I want to talk for a minute about a real hidden gem at Canyons Village at Park City. I love the transformation of the whole base area going on at Canyons Village. It's it's long been a favorite base for me for exploration of the country's largest ski resort. I just love skiing out of there, taking the gondola or the orange bubble up the mountain to start my day's adventure. I was also really struck by the opportunities for guests in Canyons Village, like the Hyatt-centric Park City. The Hyatt-centric is truly a hidden gem. It's a true ski-in, ski-out resort located slopeside at Canyons Village. Just hop on the Sunrise Lift and you have over 7,000 acres of terrain at your disposal. At the Hyatt Centric, you can choose from one to four bedroom residential style residences with full-size living, dining, and kitchen areas. Residences also offer washer, dryer, and outside decks. You'll also find a wonderful full-service restaurant and bar along with an outdoor heated pool and jacuzzis. Hyatt-centric Park City tucked away just a few steps from the Canyons Resort Plaza. Check it out for your next winter holiday at Hyatt.com. Now let's catch up with Lexi Dowdle to learn more about how you can become a part of the Paint by Powder Project. (music) 
And we are back with Lexi Dowdle on Last Chair, the Ski Utah podcast. Today, we're talking about the blending together of skiing, river rafting, art, and our, the environment. How do these all tie together? So, Lexi, along the way, somehow you got this crazy idea of doing watercolors of all of the Utah resorts. Give us a sense of the evolution of that concept. Certainly. So I'm a blogger for Ski Utah, and every year the team here comes up with a skiing goal. And they also race each other to see who can visit all 15 Utah ski resorts first in the season. So in 2020, I set out to try and accomplish this coveted goal of skiing every resort in one season here at the Ski Utah office. And we all know what happened in March of 2020. The chairlifts ground to a screeching halt alongside the greater, you know, situation. So I did not complete my goal in 2020. So in 2021, I decided to come back with a vengeance and visit every resort. So I started visiting each resort here locally in the Salt Lake Valley. And I realized it would be pretty cool to paint each resort too. So that was my goal starting in January. And I realized I'm painting with water snow is water, I could incorporate snow from each mountain into my watercolor painting. And, you know, I'm still really working on my technique with painting mountains. I thought, oh, maybe this snow will make the the painting a little bit better and I can channel the energy of the mountain as I paint with its snow. So that was kind of how it got started. And then I was involved in a really amazing powder storm up Little Cottonwood. And I I don't know what possessed me, but I just, I happened to collect some snow out of my boyfriend's truck bed. And I thought this was the best storm ever. So many good powder runs. I want to like capture the essence of this day. And so I was painting with, with this snow from this powder storm. And, and that's what got me started. Like, oh, I should collect snow at every resort. So so in, in that first instance where you collected snow from your boyfriend's truck, yeah. what did you collect it in? It was a milk jug. Like a, he happened to have one just, with you. He was parked outside my house in Salt Lake, and I that was just in the recycling bin. So, and and, and <laughs> as you go around and do this now, are you are you more scientific? Do you have specially labeled mason jars or oh, something no. like that? Oh no! So, this is funny, Tom. You know, these are the things you don't think about when you set off on a big project. You might have heard we have the greatest snow on earth. It's a rumor, but it's true. We do. So when I go to collect snow, this snow melts and it's a fraction of the volume. <laughs> so didn't think about that, did you? I know. I didn't think about that. So the second resort I gathered was Solitude. And this was really funny. I was actually with Haley, one of the Ski Utah gals, and she was taking a phone call and I was like... I'm just going to do my thing right over here. And and she looks over and I've got, you know, like two or three milk jugs out. I have been carrying them. I've got this special vest called a what vest. It's so cool. You can shove your avalanche gear in there and still ski around without a big backpack on. So I had shoved all the milk jugs in there and I was like pulling them out, you know, like kind of like a clown car. <laughs> She's just looking at me and and I'm underneath the powder horn chair and ski patrol is soaring over. They're like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm crazy, but you can't fix that. And there is this ongoing trend of ski patrol, you know, stopping and making sure I was okay as I'm like groveling in the snow trying to fill all these milk jugs. Do you even try to explain to them what you're doing? If they stop, yeah. I had this very awkward interaction with the Powder Mountain Patroller who was like, you can't take that. I was like, I'm taking it. <laughs> just, I tried to explain what I was doing and he was just very confused. But I will say the fastest response time was Deer Valley. They were on the scene in probably 34 seconds. Ma'am, are you okay? Do you need assistance? I was, I was fine. But again, I'm having to explain what the heck I'm doing. And it was just all pretty comical. Where were you at Deer Valley? I was up by Empire, somewhere down in the valley there with some trees. I don't know. I thought I'd found an, an out-of-the-way place, but they find you. Somebody was sitting up in the shack at yeah, the top of can, Empire with the binoculars. They can tell I'm up to something. <laughs> Word travels around the Wasatch. Exactly. Actually, have you collected at all resorts now? I have, yeah. I, I, my last resort was, oh boy, this it was at Woodward. And I'm not a person that really belongs in the air. We'll yeah. say it nicely that you, way. You can stay on the ground at Woodward um, too, though. You can. You can. But I didn't manage that. It was, 
I think late March. So their season was kind of winding down and and I was walking up the long concrete pathway to grab my ticket from the big, what do they call it? The adventure hub yeah. where it's like yeah. all those foam pits and it's like a child's paradise essentially. But I was just grabbing my ticket and I I have very unfortunate ski boots and I slipped, you know, like as if like a cartoon banana peel yeah. with my legs above my head and just slammed into the concrete. So I was airborne and just incapacitated before I had even gotten my lift ticket. So I kind of just tail between my legs rolled the lift up and <laughs> melt cartons and in your pack. Some snow and I was just like, I don't belong here, man. <laughs> it's fun there though, isn't it? It's not for me, but no. I, I can understand the appeal. It's if you were a 12 year old kid, there is no greater place on earth. <laughs> yeah, I, I went out with Jeremy Jones there last last winter. The Jeremy Jones from Woodward, not the one from Powell. Oh, right. Uh, so <laughs> we had a great time. And I shouldn't say this because I did make a commitment to Jeremy last year that I would come back and I would learn how to ride a rail. And I haven't done that yet. So I imagine at some point I probably should get back there. So you didn't ride the rails yet. I would come watch that. Tom, Would you? <laughs> no, I had a. I tried a rail once. I was. It was on my Alpine collegiate ski team at Brundage Mountain up in Idaho, and I had a very unfortunate turn of events where I the back of my ski tails hit the board and I went over the rail, so my legs were stuck. And my teammate was on the chairlift above me watching this happen, and it was so ridiculous. She actually peed her pants. So I'm I'm not a real grinder. I'm not a big hucker. I'm just a cruiser. <laughs> you know, watching the Olympics earlier in February, the stuff that some of those athletes do. I mean, Colby Stevenson from Park City, a really good Nuts. example, silver medalist Nuts. at the Olympics in the in slopestyle. It is really crazy what yeah. they do. Well, and and that's why woodwork is so cool. It's helping the progression of those sports. You start them at age seven and you don't even know what they're capable of. So it's pretty cool that that facility has come to Utah. And yeah, I know it's inspiring a lot of the next generation, which is pretty neat. Yeah. I mean, then that, that's what it's all about. You know, I have to go back to the river trip because we've kind of skipped over that. But I know that you're not a really big rafter, but you had you had some inspiration on your trip through Gates of Lodore. Yeah, correct. Rhee Wickstrom is an incredible photographer local here to Salt Lake. And she invited me to come along on this trip. It was kind of last minute and we packed up and went and I threw in an old set of watercolors just because I figured, you know, you're sitting on the raft, you're kind of captive, you're, you're there for the day. So what better time to make time for it? And I, I'm one of those overloaded schedule people. So if, if I don't carve out time, it's not going to happen. So I thought this would be a great opportunity to try and try and get this going. And so you know, I was painting the river and I was using the river water and it just, it felt really organic and cool. And it, that if you ever get the chance to go down that river, it is wild. You're kind of just, you're basically floating through time, just the way that the rock formations go. It's this big upheaval dome. So as you float towards the center, the rocks totally change composition and you're in these really distinct layers and it's basically a passage through time. It's very primordial. It's pretty cool that all this is just in our backyard here in Utah. For those who don't know the geography of this, Gates of Lodore out in eastern Utah, western Colorado, can you give us a little more detail on on the rivers and what you're going through? It starts, I think it's the Uinta, Uinta ge ge Geologic Formation. I don't know as much geology as I should. I've probably forgotten a little bit of it from the trip, but you basically put in on the river and right away you go through these two formations, the Gates of Lodore these just soaring cliffs. And then for the majority of the trip until you pop out in Utah, kind of near Vernal, you're just totally ensconced by these canyons. The, the walls are soaring overhead. There's springs and waterfalls and rapids, and there's no roads around this particular river. And that's what makes it so special. You're really in the wilderness. You're out there. You know, evacuation is difficult and there's no cell signal, but there's no better way to connect with our natural surroundings than a multi-day river trip. It's so cool. We're diverging a little bit, but I think if you're a skier or a visitor even to Utah, one of the things that should strike you is the amazing diversity we have in our topography here. The fact that we have these amazing desert environments. We have incredible mountains with snow and powder. It, it You grew up here. It's quite a remarkable place to think we have all of this within a couple hours of, of Salt Lake City. True. And I think what's so important is you... You can't protect what you don't know. So 
it's important to provide opportunities to others and also get yourself out there so you you understand how fragile our environment is and and what we all need to do to step up and protect it. We've got so, so many amazing landscapes and vistas here, and you can't protect what you don't know. So to get back to the paint by powder project, you have now collected snow water from all 15 Utah resorts. Yep. You started the process of doing your watercolors. Where do you stand on it right now? I'm pretty much 50% of the way done. I've I've got seven complete and eight more to go. Eagle Point's given me some trouble. I've tried that one two or three times, but I was just down there a couple of weeks ago and I just didn't have a great reference photo from there. So I I went down with the videographer, Tim Jones. We're kind of profiling the the spirit and character of that resort for in a little video project for Ski Utah. So Tim grabbed some pretty cool shots of the resort with his drone. So I'm going to be painting Eagle Point next with some drone shots that Tim took. Cool. I think so many skiers know the quintessential Wasatch resorts. You have Park City and Deer Value, Brighton and Solitude, Alta and Snowbird. But as you get out and about in the state, it's pretty amazing. Some of those small resorts, we talked about Beaver Mountain earlier. Any other small resort experiences that have been really memorable to you? Yeah, so this is this is actually probably pretty embarrassing, but I didn't know about most of the other resorts here growing up. We were just so on the program of, you know, we had the family passes and the employee benefits at Snowbird, and I never skied outside of Utah until I was 19. So I didn't know about most of them until I started working with Ski Utah, and it was such a cool discovery to realize that there are all these other mountains in our backyard starting with Brian Point down south. Brian Head. Um, Brian Head, sorry. I'm thinking about Eagle Point, but I'm talking about Brian Head. I had no idea that was down there. It's so cool. You're skiing and you're looking out on all this red rock and this high desert plateau. And after a day of skiing, I went out with my friend Claire. We backcountry skied, I guess cross-country skied because it's flat, but <laughs> out to the rim of that Cedar Breaks National Monument and watched the sunset. It was so neat. So just there's no other vista I can imagine that that compares to skiing Brian Head. It's so unusual. Just to go, just to go back to that, how far a ski was it out to the edge? Oh, it's not bad. Maybe 15 minutes. That's amazing. You could snowshoe. We saw snowshoe tracks. It's well worth it if the road's open. Yeah. What's the elevation up there? I think Brian Head Peak is it's at least 11,000. We summited that as well. It was during a low snow period a couple years ago. So we were kind of skittering to the top across some rocks, but supposedly you can see a couple different states from the top of Brian Head Peak, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it is, it is amazing down there. Get a lot of people up from Las Vegas, but True. a lot of people California, from Salt Lake are starting to find their way down there. They're figuring it out. Yeah. Same we with, shouldn't tell them, right? Same with Eagle Point. I think people are catching on to the Powder Fridays. I kind of don't want to talk about it. It's a secret. <laughs> they just have powder on Fridays. Yeah, they're only Every open- Friday. You know, aside from the the Christmas, New Year's madness, they're only open Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I think Monday. But if it snows all week, you head down there Thursday night and you got like a private country club powder experience. It's what a, pretty what a, amazing. What a great idea. Yeah. Now, th- this is a fabulous project. And actually, give us the website really quickly if people want to go and take a look at it. And then we're going to talk about a few other elements. Yeah, for sure. So my Instagram name is Kapowder, you know, like powder, but Kapowder. So that is my website as well. It's K-A-P-O-W-D-E-R.com. So that's where all my art lives, but that's my Instagram handle as well. Now, one of the cool things about this project is that not only are you documenting these 15 Utah resorts with snow that is collected from each of those resorts, but you're also benefiting a cause that's very important to all of us as skiers and riders, protect our winners. Yeah, if we don't start to make some pretty massive changes, we're not going to have a ski industry. I'd, I'd read a study that says, you know, if we if we literally do nothing and continue on this same path of consumption that we're on, the precipitation will not fall as snow in the Wasatch by the year 2100. And to have like a more concrete, you know, consequence, like staring down the gauntlet of this fact is what kind of spurred me to action because I was just the thought of not being able to ski here in the winter was truly sobering. So I'm just hoping to galvanize folks around here. And, and most importantly, we need to vote. We need to change the legislation. So there's lots of things we can do on an individual level that will help our air quality and 
contribute in small ways to the overconsumption that our society subscribes to. But the most important thing we need to do is change the legislation and vote climate. And Protect Our Winters provides a ton of resources about that and ways to get involved in panels and discussions with legislators. So it's a great organization to get involved with in terms of you know, voting climate and understanding the issues and knowing how you can play a role in changing the trajectory of, of a lot of those decisions that at the local and federal level, that's what we're going to need to work on if we're hoping to change our trajectory here. What I like about Protect Our Winners is it was actually started by skiers and snowboarders, most notably a pro snowboarder Jeremy Jones, who if you want to check back on last year, I think he was episode two of this season where he explained a lot of what's going on and the evolution in the last few years and really focusing more on legislation and trying to, to change not just individuals' habits, but to change countries' habits. And it, it is a really important and vital cause. So a part of the proceeds of your sales are going to protect our winners. Yeah, I've raised $100 so far, which doesn't seem like a lot, but you know, I've only just gotten started. I'm halfway done. I think there'll be a lot more momentum once I complete the project. And I also haven't tallied all my holiday sales. So I'd guess we're probably about $250 right now. So hey, protect our winters. I do owe you a check. <laughs> But we're just getting started. And this component, I'm donating 5% of profits from each of my paint by powder art print sales. So I'm just getting started. These will be on my website in perpetuity. So it'll be an ongoing donation to protect our winners as I sell through product and, you know, close up the project. But they'll be available on my website. So people can go to kapowder.com mm -hmm. and they can order watercolors. Yeah, I've got stickers. I've got watercolors. I'm kind of just getting started with the art thing. I've got a lot of ideas in mind and I'm I got big goals, but this is something I just started December of 2020. So it's a, a new business venture for me, I suppose. Do you have a gallery show in the offing maybe? <laughs> I would love to do something upon completing all 15 resort paintings here in Utah. I don't know what it will be, but I'm sure I'm sure we'll figure something out. Aside from the Paint by Powder project, you're also an active volunteer with Wasatch Adaptive. Correct. Yeah. These guys are just so great. You know, I grew up skiing Snowbird and I always see them in their jackets just having the best time. And I'm pretty shy. So it took me most of my life. To, you're pretty shy. I'm shy. It's I fool most people, but I'm I am an introvert. But I finally mustered up the courage to go say, hey, can I volunteer? And the, the training process is pretty intensive, but once you're trained, you're trained. And and now I help out with, I volunteer on adaptive lessons. So that can be anybody from never set foot on skis or a snowboard before to more experienced skiers and riders. So it's really cool. You're working with people on a sit ski or a mono ski, or there's all these really cool devices that can help people no matter what their challenge is. We'll get them on snow. And it's the, the best part is just seeing people find and discover a sense of independence and and oftentimes for some some students just being up there is enough to be out in nature and see the mountains that can just it can heal your soul so much I'll start to tear up but it's just it's such a powerful experience and skiing gave me everything and my whole life is built around skiing so to give back is pretty cool I think I think as able-bodied skiers, we don't think so much about that independence, the feeling of independence. If you're an adaptive individual, skiing can really give you that sensation. Yeah, it can change your life. It's pretty cool to witness. It really is. Lexi Dowdle, thank you so much for joining us on Last Chair. We're going to close it out with our typical fresh track section. We have a few questions for you. Try not to stump you too much. I mean, easy <laughs> stuff like, Lexi, what's your favorite Utah ski run? Oh, this is not an easy question. Tom. Yes, it is. Oh, boy. There's no wrong answer. Um, There's just too many right answers. The backcountry out of Beaver Mountain is pretty spectacular. They've got these cool old mahogany trees. And on a good powder cycle, you can ski all the way to the road and hitchhike back up to the mountain. That's pretty special. And then I, I'm never above a good silver fox at Snowbird. <laughs> <laughs> a good one. I love it. <laughs> a good one. Do you have a favorite ski holiday that you've been on? Yeah, that one's easy. It's That's Interlodge. Interlodge. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Interlodge yeah. has a ski holiday. <laughs> this is it great. It can be. <laughs> My boyfriend works with the Avalanche office up at Alta. He's on ski patrol at Alta. So 
he gets all the beta before it's common knowledge. So he'll tell me, you know, road's going to close at midnight tonight. We might not spin lifts tomorrow. It's looking pretty brutal. So I will pack up all my things. And the key, Tom, is snacks. You got to have snacks. snacks. And I'll, I'll get myself up to the hill. And he lives on the mountain at Alta. And I'll just hunker down and interlodge myself until the great release happens. And it's generally worth it. <laughs> so for folks who might not know about Interlodge, or maybe they're listening from out of state and planning this trip to Utah, tell us what Interlodge means. Yeah. So Interlodge is a town ordinance with the town of Alta. And it basically means the avalanche danger is climbing or rising so quickly that the mitigation efforts can't keep pace. And that's huge teams of people. It's Snowbird Ski Patrol, that's Alta Ski Patrol, that's UDOT, it's Forest Service. It's all these agencies working together to keep the road and the town and the people safe. So during Interlodge, it is illegal to leave the building. Only authorized people who are doing snow removal or actually out there chucking bombs are permitted outside. So it's this kind of apocalyptic. You look outside, the snow is swirling, it's it's stacking up. It's this cool feeling that you just can't understand unless you've been involved. And this is a vacation you can't just book. No. You can't say, listen, I'd like to no. book an inner lodge for February 25th. Can't do that. Well, and, and a lot of people who, who actually experience inner lodge don't realize the implications of it. You know, the avalanche hazard index for Little Cottonwood Canyon Road, Highway 210, is one of the highest in the world. There's so many slide paths that that cover this road, and it's dangerous. So I think with the last great Interlodge event, it was February 2021, 60 hours, I was involved in that one as well. You're getting inside intel, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, there were over 210 recorded natural and controlled avalanches. And that's probably not all of them. We surely didn't see all of them, but that's pretty crazy. And at the end of all that, there's probably some pretty good skiing. Yeah. It, it had snowed 100 inches, 103 inches, according to Wasatch Snow Forecast. So That's um, bigger than you. That's taller than me. That was a great day. It was a great day. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. Favorite Utah small resort? I love Beaver, but Eagle Point is really growing on me. That is a cool little spot down in Beaver, Utah. So I guess I like the beavers. Beaver, Utah, Beaver Mountain. Send me north, send me south. I'll, I'll take them all. Tell us a little bit more about Eagle Point. We've talked about it earlier in the podcast, but give us a little more detail. Yeah, it's really cool. It's kind of just nestled at the foot of this large mountain called Mount Holly. It's got a really high base elevation. So they get pretty great snow and it's coming out over the Great Basin. So it's really dry. It's this crispy dry powder. It's real nice. And and you're up in the Tusha Range, which is actually one of our highest mountain ranges. It's taller than the Wasatch, which most people don't realize. But it's just, it's this very singular, unique little resort and you're kind of away from it all and you're up this beautiful canyon and it's worth checking out. Favorite watercolor that you've done? I know you're only about halfway through the Utah resorts, but do you have a favorite already? Well, it's right here, Tom, and I, I oh, brought can I you see one. It? It's Hold a, this up for all of the podcast listeners City. to see. You know, I'm <laughs> glad you picked that one. This is a fantastic print. Tell us about this, and I'm going to add some color to it. Yeah. So, I mean, Park City, I, I'm trying to paint the most iconic landscape that I can for each resort. So for Park City, for me, that was definitely Jupiter Peak. And this was cool. The day I, I hiked up here to collect the snow, I did collect it on Jupiter Peak. And that day we were having an IFSA free ride junior regional. So all the young free riders were just hucking their meat off, off Jupiter's flanks here. And I, I thought that maybe some of their cool, fearless free ride energy would, would come across in my painting. And then I threw in a vintage gondola from the old gondola. It's bright yellow. I love the history of Park City and I thought it would be fun to tie some of its past in with its Jupiter present. You know, I was talking with someone at Park City Mountain the other day and just giving them a little bit of history. And in fairness, they were younger than me. And I asked <laughs> them, I said, do you know about the gondola? And they didn't know about the gondola. And this is such an amazing rendition of the Park City Gondola, which opened in 1963. It was one of the first in the, in the, in the country, was built with some federal funds that were avail available out of the Kennedy administration, and it really created the resort. And I remember it because I, I actually skied here for many years with that gondola, 
it was like a 25 minute ride, 25 minute ride from the base up to what is now the the summit house. And you can see some of the remnants at the angle station right above the base of the Bonanza lift. And the gondola would come up, it would take a little right turn and continue on up to the top. And the other thing I like about this, and we'll have this on the webpage at skiutah.com, is you have the gondola in a great perspective with Jupiter Peak, which is just this iconic, iconic peak there. I always kind of, we have, at, at our home, we can see the whole ridgeline. And oh, every morning I look out and I see Murdoch on the right, Jupiter right in the middle, and then over to Bald Mountain at, at Deer Valley. It's just such an amazing view. So this is fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, I'd, I'm more partial to that ski tunnel. I think that would have been pretty cool. The ski tunnel is amazing. <laughs> We talked about that on a podcast last year, but if you go over to the uh, base of Silver Star, there is actually a mine tunnel and they've preserved it. And the old lift of sorts used to go three miles into the mountain by old mine car. And then another couple thousand feet up to put you at the base of what is now the Thanes lift. Right. Amazing. It, It was operated for a couple of years, but it was like just too uncomfortable. dangerous. Uncomfortable. Yeah. My grandpa was a coal miner down in Eureka, Utah, and we did that Silver King mine tour. I think it's shut down now, but it was so cool. And we took him down there and he was telling us all about mining and we were riding in the cars. And yeah, that's that's a, a whole different atmosphere down below. And it's weird to think that these mining tunnels are kind of beneath all the mountains we ski. That's a little wild. Yeah. It's, here, here in the Wasatch anyway. You see it in particular- well, Alta and Snowbird, huge mining areas. There Snowbird is, is named after a mine. Yeah. yeah. But there, there aren't as many structures left there. Park City has done an amazing job in preserving these structures, Deer Valley to a certain extent as well. And I just love it's bopping so around neat. Park City and seeing those old structures there. Yeah, it's different. <laughs> okay, now we'll get on to the fun stuff. Do you have a favorite High West whiskey? Well, so Tom... I brought you a little present here. It's a Midwinter's Night Dram. Oh, my goodness. And as you know, it's rather hard to get. You actually brought a bottle of High West to the podcast recording. Yeah, I, I couldn't let the opportunity pass us by. This is amazing. So we did a podcast episode at High West a year ago. It was a story on actually mining history at, at Park City. It was a really fun one. And we recorded it there, and we had one of the High West experts there. And I think that we tried Burai that day. Oh, I haven't tried that one. Are you going to pour this? Or can um, you pour this? Yeah, I, I can pour this. No, let's, let's do this. Actually, I was going to say it's a first, but we actually did this, at, we did this at High West last year. But this is a really, really nice treat. Do you have the history of this bottle? I I'm, I'm probably don't know as much about its, its pedigree. Not enough that I want to uh, uh, talk about it for all of our guests, but a Midwinter Nights Dram. This is a very, very special bottle. A little bit hard to find. and I would say quite hard to find. Quite hard to find. <laughs> so this is really quite a treat. So I appreciate you doing this. So Cheers. So we're going to actually start out the day. Start out the day right. Oh, it's so smooth. It's about two inches left in this bottle, so... <laughs> Be out of here by noon. Exactly. Oh, that is a nice yep. treat. No one's ever done that before. Hey, Tom, um, I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> well, we're going to enjoy more of this after the podcast. But just to close it out, Lexi, thanks so much for being here. One thanks more for question. Me. When you think back in time, think back about your life as a skier growing up here in Utah and now moving into this amazing watercolor project, what does skiing mean to you and what does it mean in your heart? Oh, boy. I mean, skiing's pretty much, I've built my whole life around it. <laughs> it's my job. It's my hobby. It's pretty much all my freelance work. My boyfriend is a skier. <laughs> like, If skiing were suddenly stripped away, I'd be in quite a pickle. Yeah, it's a great sport. Yeah. <laughs> Lexi Dowdle, Paint by Powder Project. It's awesome. Go to kapowder.com and learn more. Hey, cheers to you. Cheers. Thanks for joining us on Thank Last Chair. A big thanks to Lexi Dowdle for taking time to talk to Last Chair today. And hey, let's all think about helping Lexi by acquiring a print from her Paint by Powder project. It all goes to help support Protect Our Winners. Check it out at kapowder.com. 
Com. That's K-A-P-O-W-D-E-R.com. We'll have a link in the podcast notes at SkiUtah.com. Before we close, let's talk about outdoor gear and mountain adventures. I'm a passionate Four Seasons outdoor enthusiast myself, and I know the value of a good shop where pros can help guide your purchasing decision. In my 30-plus years living here in Utah, I've come to really respect Jan's Mountain Outfitters. It's been the shop in Park City since 1980, and that goes for Jan's sister shop, White Pine Touring. Since the day my longtime friend Jan opened the store, it's been staffed by knowledgeable experts, today with over 500 combined years of experience in their fields. The Jan's team will ensure that you are properly outfitted for your next mountain adventure, whether you're skiing, riding, cycling, hiking, fly fishing, or more. And if you're looking for a new pair of skis, each season the Jan staff tests over 100 pairs of skis to learn more about each one firsthand. Ask about Jan's Try It Before You Buy It program. And do you need rental gear, including clothing? This is an area where Jan's really shines, and you can rent from the shop that actually sells the best gear. Here's another area where Jan's really excels. There are many places in town that you can get your skis and boards tuned or waxed. But to me, the experienced World Cup pros at Renstall make it the best spot to get a simple tune or a World Cup level prep. Did you watch all those freestyle and snowboard medals at the Olympics? Well, nearly all of those fast skis and boards came with base preps direct from the team at Renstall before they headed to China. And now that we're in the home stretch to spring, consider a fly fishing trip to the Provo River just minutes from Park City with one of Jan's guides. When you're in town, stop by one of Jan's shops in Park City. Check them out in advance at jans.com. That's jans.com, your mountain recreation experts. The Ski Utah Last Chair podcast is brought to you by High West Distillery. Follow our whiskey adventure on all social media platforms at Drink High West. And remember, sip responsibly. High West Whiskey, 46% alcohol by volume. High West Distillery in Park City, Utah. We have some great episodes coming up through March and into April. Next up, we'll be talking about some of the transformational upgrades at Sundance Resort with ski industry luminary Bill Jensen. I've spent a few days at Sundance this winter, and it's really a fantastic experience with new lifts, new runs, snowmaking, and restaurants. Thank you for joining us on Last Chair. We'll be back soon with more episodes. To close us out, let's welcome back our friends Pixie and the Partygrass Boys. Please remember to subscribe to Last Chair to have every episode delivered direct to you. I'm Tom Kelly for Last Chair, presented by High West. Have fun. It is a great day to ski. Oh, I love to ski. I'm living in